Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Jeremiah chapter, chapter 9 is the foundational scripture for this series. And this is what it says. Now remember, this is Jeremiah who wrote this, but this is the Holy Spirit speaking through Jeremiah to God's people. And this is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom, or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord. That is the goal for this series. This will be a four-week series that's going to bring us into a deeper, fuller understanding of how God has revealed himself through his word, through the Bible, and bring us into a deeper understanding of who he is and how each facet of God's personality and character, his nature, how it relates to us and how it affects our lives and how it can affect the lives of others. Amen? Amen. So we're told through Jeremiah that the greatest thing that we can boast about is that we know him that we know who he is, that we are intimately um, connected to him, related to him, in relationship with him. I can't stress the importance of this. And as we go through this teaching, especially today at the introduction, to know the difference between how many of us were taught from the time we were children to see God, and the difference between that and how the Bible reveals God. In some of our cases, for some of us, is very drastic. I know for me it was. Let me use this illustration maybe to kind of make this point a little bit better. You know, years ago, when a bank would hire a person as a teller, they would put that individual person through a tremendous amount of training so that they could spot a counterfeit bill. Now, the unique thing about this and the interesting thing is that they did not waste their time studying the phony, but the real. So much so that they would be able to see a fake whenever it came across the desk. You and I have to be trained to be able to spot the phonies. When we hear people talk about our God that are not familiar with the Bible, and unfortunately, sometimes, and many times, especially in the recent decades, it seems like people that have control of the media, people have control of public light, uh, just those that are in control of dispensing information, it almost seems like there is a common thread that runs through them of purposely misrepresenting our God so that people would not want to be attracted to him, but rather be repulsed or be repelled by even the thought of Christianity. And so throughout the generations, these organizations or, or this, this uh, structure in society has been very successful in portraying God in such a way where it's, there's no appeal. And it always takes the form of two different extremes. There is the version of the angry God who hates everyone, who is the source of all hardship in your life, and he just can't wait to throw somebody in hell. That goes all the way to the opposite extreme of this fluffy God, this fluffy, very uh, vague God who uh, really doesn't mean anything that he said in the Bible, is not really going to enforce any of that, and would never send anybody to hell. Well, we know that both of those extremes are full of lies, and that the balance is found in the Word of God. God tells us about himself. God reveals himself to us through his Word. Amen? I want to 
start out going to a, a, an incident that's recorded for us in the book of Exodus. It involves Moses. It involves God commissioning him and sending him out to do his work. But I want you to see with me as we go through this how God reveals himself to Moses and in turn how he reveals himself to us. By the time we come to Exodus chapter 3, Moses is almost 80 years old at this time. Okay, most of us don't realize that because, you know, Christian Bale, when he was in his version of, he looked pretty good. Charlton Heston looked really good, okay, you know, for, for that age. But the truth of the matter is the Bible makes it very clear to us. You figure things out according to chronological order. Moses is about 80 years old when this incident takes place. Now, the first 40 years of Moses' life, you remember the story how he was found in the river, his mother had put him in a basket so they would avoid uh, him being executed, and, and so he's found by Pharaoh's daughter, a member of Pharaoh's family, and they pick him up and she adopts him from his own, so he's raised in Pharaoh's palace, he's raised amongst all of this, of this glory of Egypt, uh, and he's trained to do some phenomenal things, and, and for the sake of time I won't go into it, but you can really go research this. If you, if you read uh, this historian, Josephus, who lived around the time uh, right after Jesus uh, kind of ascended into heaven, he wrote a history of the Jews and he includes some amazing things there about Moses that we don't, that we don't find in the Bible. And so Moses, at, by the time he's 40 years old, has accomplished some phenomenal things, really great things. He's, he's well known. He's a person of power. And then he starts to feel this pull in his heart that God has something special for him, that he is going to be used to release God's people from this slavery. And what he does, he makes a very common mistake that many of us make when we sense that God is leading us in a direction or, or places a mandate on our life, we typically step out on our own rather than waiting for God to bring it to pass. And so he, he sees an Egyptian abusing uh, a Hebrew one day. He takes matters into his own hands. He kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand, only to find out that this entire thing has been reported back to Pharaoh. This whole thing is found out. He has to leave Egypt. He flees Egypt and he runs. He flees. From, 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 from the court of Pharaoh and he finds himself uh, on the other side of what we would call today modern day Saudi Arabia and he, he meets a family there uh, this man named Jethro who is a worshiper of the God of Israel the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and he connects with this family uh, he eventually marries one of the daughters has two children he's now in charge by the time we come to this point of the second 40 years of his life Moses has been in charge of his father-in-law's flock now and it's prospering he's doing well and then one day we find this incident that's recorded for us. Exodus chapter 3. Let's start in verse 2. There the angel of the Lord, then the, there and then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. 
So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up, of that, up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And obviously we realize this is symbolic. He's talking about bringing them to a land of abundance, a land that his blessing was upon, a land where they would prosper. And he also said to them, this is the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, who Israel would dispossess because this land was given to them by God. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. In other words, you're going to come right back to this place where we've met, and you'll know that it is I who sent you because I brought you out to bring you into this place and to bring you into that time of worship. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, I don't know about you, but to me this is an amazing way for God to pop in on the scene here. See, God is, he was, and always will be. He is the I am. What he is saying to Moses is that I always exist. There's never been a time when I have not existed. And I will be whatever you need me to be whenever you need me. I am. Not I was. Not I'm going to be. I am. I am always existing. I am all sufficient within myself. I can take care of anything that you need. I am. Now to me, this is kind of a, a serious situation here. We see that God bursts on the scene in a very spectacular way, which leads us to kind of another conclusion. Now we know that God has been leading Moses and, and kind of like speaking to him, probably in a very still small voice, as that his nature is. And what we could see and possibly happening here, because we see it happen also in the Apostle Paul's life. You remember when, when Saul was on the road to Damascus and he's going from Jerusalem to Damascus and he's intent on destroying the Christians that are there. Jesus bursts on the scene on that road to Damascus in a very spectacular way. And he says something to Saul that's kind of interesting. He says to Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now you and I are completely lost to that in our culture. What he was saying to him is, he's speaking the language of a cattle rancher. And back in those days, they used oxen to carry heavy loads. And when an ox would not kind of want to see the viewpoint of the master to get up and go, they would take these long poles with a sharp edge a sharp point, and they would get behind the ox to try to get him motivated. You understand what I'm saying? 
And so for Jesus to use that same terminology with the apostle Paul, Saul, who eventually become Paul, kind of leads us to, 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 we can assume that this isn't the first time that Jesus is trying to get Saul's attention. But now he's had to do something drastic. Well, we see the same thing in Moses' life. For Moses to have to be interrupted in his daily routine by this shrub that explodes in flames and is not consumed, and then a voice speaks out to him, tells us, hey, listen, I've been trying to get your attention for years now. The timing is becoming critical, so now I need to interrupt your life. I need to burst on the scene here with a spectacular display of my power. And so he gets Moses' attention, but here's the point I want to bring out to you. I think it's really interesting that the very first time that Moses gets to have a conversation face-to-face with God is in the midst of a crisis. Now follow me here. The crisis is kind of twofold. The crisis for the people that are in Egypt is that they're under this taskmaster, this slave driver. They're suffering in slavery. The crisis for Moses is this. Moses is in his 80th year and has still not fulfilled the original plan that God had for his life. That's a crisis. It's a crisis for any one of us. When we have, God has kind of put something on our heart. He's been trying to speak to us. He's been trying to get our attention. But time and time again, we ignore it. And the years are going by. Now, it's four decades that Moses is taking care of these sheep. It says he's on the far side of the desert. Which kind of tells us he's as far away from Egypt as a person can get walking. Which tells me this. You forget a lot of things in 40 years. Some of you haven't even been around 40 years yet. But for those of us that have, it's a, for instance, my wife and I, this August, will be married 40 years. Okay? Thank you, but that's not my point. My point is this. I really got to sit down and think about what was it like those first couple of years. Now, once you have a child, forget it. Because now you, how many of you said, I can't even remember what it was like not to have children? <laughs> so, so imagine now, it's been four decades since Moses has been face to face with the cruelty of Egypt, with the persecution of his people, with the slavery. You kind of forget some things. I'll guarantee you, I mean, it's not, it's not the palace, but he's probably living decent now. After all, he's got a wife. He's got a couple of kids. He's taking care of his father-in-law's flock. Everything's going well. And so what happens is, you see, we suffer from two types of crisis in our life. It's a crisis of the urgent that's right there, but then there's also the crisis that's just as dangerous of the complacency. Are you listening to me? Listen, let me tell you something, church, okay? The Holy Spirit is trying to bring a sense of urgency to the church. I'm talking about the church all over the world. But many of us have become content on the far side of the desert, taking care of the sheep, living a decent life, having a halfway decent tent to live in, having a wife, having a couple of kids, and we've gotten complacent. And it's not time for complacency. This whole thing is going to wrap up pretty soon. Jesus is coming back. And now there needs to be an urgency. And some of us may begin 
to experience the spectacular intervention of God into our life where he bursts on the scene to get our attention. Are you listening? Now, what did we hear in this conversation between Moses and God? We heard this. I have seen the suffering of my people. I have heard their misery. And I'm concerned. And I have come down to rescue them. Wow, what an amazing introduction to this God. Moses may have thought for all those decades, he's forgotten me. He's not aware of what the people have gone through there. He's deaf to their cries. He's not going to do anything about this. After all, you've got to understand something here. It's been 430 years that the Israelites have been in Egypt. Now, probably for the first 100 or so, first 100, 200 years, they probably didn't have it too bad. But see, the Bible tells us that eventually what happened was a Pharaoh came to power who did not, his heart turned against the Israelites and made them slaves. So let's assume for half of that 430 years, they're under slavery. Uh, 200 years of slavery is a, lot, is a long time. The people could have thought during those 200 years, our God has forgotten us. Church, can I tell you this this morning? There are some of you here in this room that you've entertained the same thought, that God has forgotten about you. He has forgotten your suffering, that he's not even aware of the misery that you've been living with, and he's not concerned about you and doesn't have a plan. I want you to walk away here today from the first part of this series, having it settled in your heart. Your God, your Father in heaven, knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows exactly what you're having to endure. He knows exactly the suffering that you're going through. He has seen your misery, has heard your cries, and he has a plan to pull you out of that thing. Stick with him. Are you listening? Now listen, let's talk about something else here. Because time's going by here this morning, and I, and I want to I make sure that we cover this. Notice this now. Moses is introduced to God face to face in the middle of a crisis. The interesting thing is, though, in a short period of time after this, he's going to be, Moses is going to be successful of taking the people of Israel out of Egypt. They're going to go through the Red Sea in a very spectacular way. They're going to come up on the other side. Pharaoh and his army is going to be destroyed. God's going to say to them, look on your enemies because after today, you'll never see them again. They come out, they face an initial crisis of no water, they face another crisis of no food, but after that, it's a matter of walking through this thing with God, and then eventually they come to the mountain that God said, when you take them out, here's a sign, you're going to come back to this place. When they get to that mountain, this same Moses is called up to the mountain by God, he responds, he comes up to the mountain, and over the next 40 days and 40 nights, God dictates to Moses the book of Genesis. This is a spectacular thing. But watch this now. The very first line of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Read this with me out loud. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Whoa, hold on a second here. We see now God revealing himself to Moses as what? Creator. If we were, had the time and we could read the rest of the chapter, we're going to see that God also reveals himself as provider. Not only does he create a universe, 
He also creates a garden and an environment and supplies everything that this man and woman are going to need to sustain them, to prosper them, to, to bring them into a, an abundant life. So God then, in a time of peace, remember the crisis is over. They're out of Egypt. They've come to the Red Sea. They've seen their enemies destroyed. God's now supplying them water. He's supplying them with food. They come to this mountain. It's a time of stability. And in that time of stability, God calls Moses to him and says, okay, the crisis is over now. Sit down. I need for you to get to know me. Listen, I would venture to say that many of us in this room, I know this is true for me, your first encounter with God was in the midst of a crisis. And, and we draw close to him in the midst of a crisis. We, we, we cry out to him in the midst of a crisis. Oh, God, get me out of this thing. I'll never do this again. How many of you said that one? And what happens? He brings us out. And then when the crisis is over, many of us, not all, but some of us, go back to the old lifestyle again. And we don't take the opportunity now in a climate of stability to sit down and let that Bible reveal to us who he is. Now listen to me. That is a dangerous thing to do. Because you see, there are some people who have developed a relationship with God that they only run after him when there is a crisis. That's not good. Because you see, God also revealed himself as creator. He also revealed himself as provider. But if you only go after God when, you ha when your back is up against the wall, when the devil is breathing down your neck, and that's the only time you run after him, you never will find out what else he is capable of. And your relationship will only be based on crisis. Crisis. And listen, we relate to God and he relates to us differently in crisis than he does in times of stability. For instance, God created the, heaven, the heavens and the earth. God also created the sun, moon, and stars, everything else, created everything on this planet with one thought in mind. I love them, therefore I'm going to create a place for them to enjoy. If you're only relating to God in a time of crisis, you will never understand that the God who is love creates so that someone else can enjoy it. Love always creates so that someone else will enjoy it. Love never creates for themselves. Are you listening to me? I was 20 years old. We were gonna get engaged. We got engaged in June. In the fall before that, we got engaged in August. I turned 20 in June, right? So we got engaged, we got engaged in August. Before we got engaged, that winter before, we started riding down here to the shore looking for a house because we we're going to get married. And so we found a piece of property just a few blocks away from here. In fact, the person who lives in that house now attends church here. And um, we looked at this piece of property. We liked it. We purchased it. On the day when we had the closing, 
which took place up North Jersey. My wife came from her job. I met her at the lawyer's office. We got there, signed all the papers. When we left, she went back to work. I drove all the way down here to the shore. So that's what we used to call it back then. Now you don't really refer to Bricktown as the shore. And I went to the lot, and I took a handkerchief, and I took a scoop of dirt, and I put it in that, tied up that handkerchief, came back home that night. I don't know if we went to dinner or whatever, and I said to her, this is our property. You know, the romantic sentimentalist. 20-year-old in love. This is our property. And she said, well, I thought it was a little bit bigger than that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I was so excited that we were going to get the opportunity to build our own house. Now you say, when? At 20 years old? <laughs> I started working when I was 12. So, and, and, you know, whatever. That's another story for another time. So, so what am I trying to tell you here? Love creates so that someone else will enjoy it. Then we got the opportunity to sit down and start drawing what kind of house we wanted. How big are the bedrooms gonna be and where's the living room and all this other stuff. And it was a very exciting time. Why? Because love creates so someone else can enjoy. You're listening to me. How many of you remember when the first time you found out you're pregnant and you're gonna have a baby, what is the very first thing you start doing? Okay, okay, what color are we gonna paint the room and what, what kind of curtains and, and come on, are you, are you hearing me? And, and you know, we gotta get a crib and, and, we gotta, and we're just gonna make this beautiful room and, and I think about my, my son Mark and his wife and this beautiful bedroom they put together for for their children, uh, and, and you know, there's murals on the wall, and all that Why do we do that? Because love creates so that someone else will enjoy it, okay? I remember when my same son, Mark, was three years old. At that time, we were in the restaurant business here in town, and, and so I had the, the, the equipment and things to do some spectacular things and had some people work with me. They were very creative, and I said, okay, to this one, this one young man who was a graduate of uh, culinary school, I said, listen, we're going we're gonna to bake a cake for my son's birthday. I said, and, and I, want it, I want this gigantic castle, and I want a moat around it, and I want, you know, and I want everything made out of chocolate, and I want, you know, we're going to design these turrets, and we're going to use ice cream cones, and, and, and we're going to decorate those. And, 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 and so the spectacular thing, and maybe I should have brought the picture we could have put up on the screen. And so, so why do you go through three days of baking and decorating? Because love creates so that someone can enjoy it. Are you catching this? But you see, listen to me. If you only know him in the time of crisis, you'll never experience the love of the creator and the desire that he has to create an atmosphere so that you and he would know each other and that you would come to know him in a closer, deeper, intimate way. And so, yes, he is the God during crisis, but he's also the God of the stable times. Yes, he is the God who will rescue us, but he's also the God that wants to sit down and chat and have a conversation and get to know him. He is the God who will deliver you out of crisis, but he's also the God who will create for you an environment and provide for you everything you need in that environment. But if you only relate to him in time of crisis, you'll never get to see that other side. Yes, he is a man of war, but he's also the father who desires to draw you close and desires to provide for you and desires to, to just create a spectacular environment just to show you how much he loves you. I'll never forget many years ago, we had a person who was in charge of one of our departments and this, this lady, she just loved God and and and. She was coming up to the office to have a meeting with me. 
And she walked in, and, and she was holding a white rose. And I thought, I thought it was for my wife. And, and she said, no, no, this is for Pastor. And I thought to myself, white rose, how does she know? How did she know that I love white roses, okay? And so she said, she said, she said this is so strange, and I have to tell you, Pastor, because it's never happened before. She said, I was standing in a florist shop, and I'm looking in the refrigerator, and she said, I just wanted to bring you something that was gonna kinda, she said, and I went to go pick out a red rose, and the Lord said, no, he likes white ones. And I looked at my wife, and, and she knew that that was the case. I was like, man, how much more can God tell you how personal he wants to be with you? How much he wants to love us. But then I'll come back to this again. Listen, listen. If he's only your God in crisis, you'll never get to experience those other times of, of just precious, wow, he really knows me. Imagine what Moses must have felt like as he sat there. Now we know God supernaturally graced him to be able to stay on that mountain 40 days, 40 nights. But to think, I'm sitting here and God Almighty, now I see that he's the creator of the universe, is actually, is actually dictating to me, telling me everything that went on during the process of creation. Telling me how he provided for Adam, the original man, okay? Telling me all these things. Imagine what that must have, Moses must have felt like. And you can have the same experience if you'll draw close to him at every time. Not just when there's a crisis, but also when there's times of stability. You know, I'll close with this because we're going to continue next weekend, obviously. There's a story, another story in the Old Testament. There's a story about a time when Israel was going to battle. And these people were people of the mountains. And the battle took place in a mountainous area, and, and Israel defeated them. And so they were so like in their heads, they got together, they were, they were distraught over the fact that they had been defeated, they couldn't understand it. Because you see, they worshiped the gods of the mountains, and they said to themselves, Let, let's go fight them in the valley, maybe, maybe he's only a god of the mountains, and we'll defeat them in the valley. Well, you know the story, obviously. When Israel went to fight them in the valley, they also destroyed them in the valley, because God's not just the God on the mountains, he's also the God in the valley. He's not just the God of the hard times of life, he's also the God of the peaceful times. He's not just the, the God of war, he is the great shepherd, amen, who doesn't want us to lack anything. He is your shepherd as much as he is your deliverer and your protector and your defender. So over these next few weeks, we're gonna find out about the, more about God. We're gonna find out about the fact that he's your healer, that he's your defender, that he's your protector, that he's your sustainer. Amen. He's also your peace, your joy, your righteousness. He is your savior, but he's also the soon coming king. Amen. And many of us don't spend enough time studying that side of our God. He's coming back. Yes. He's coming back. Amen? Amen. 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 So listen, before we go, I want to make an offer to you, an extended invitation to you. If there's anybody here in this room, you, you may be here today, you may be watching this on your computer, on TV, whatever, your phone. God wants you to know him. God wants you to come into a relationship with him. God has already proven to us that he would move heaven and earth just to get to you. He sent his son Jesus to the cross 
to die for your sins. And then he turned around and received his death as payment for you and for me. So that you and I could experience eternal life, everlasting life with him. Now, that's an established fact. But it's one that you need to decide within your heart if you're going to take advantage of. Jesus died so that every single one of us could receive him by faith, invite him into our lives, have our spirit on the inside, come to life and immediately be connected with his Holy Spirit. But the choice is up to you. You can choose to receive, you can choose to reject. The difference between where you're going to spend eternity is based on did you receive or did you reject. The choice is yours. But I would say to you, choose life. Choose Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.